This morning we extend a warm welcome to all guests and visitors with us. And as we worship the Lord, we hear his call to worship from Psalm 107, verses 31 and 32. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. And as we gather for worship, we once more confess that our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that therein is, and who keeps truth forever. Please turn with me now to the book of the prophecy of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, and so he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid. And they cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was down in the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. And so the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us, that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come, and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said, said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for what cause this evil is, come, is upon us. What is thine occupation? And whence camest thou? And whence, what is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. And then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, What hast thou done? Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. And so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to to the land, but they could not. For the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. And wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done it as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah, and they cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish 
three days and three nights. So far the reading of God's holy word. Dear church family and children, this morning we come again to this captivating and fascinating, surprising story of Jonah. A book that we many, a story that we in many ways marvel at, but also its prophetic message. A message that in, in many ways echoes the words of Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, where the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my, your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We see this vividly on display in the book of Jonah, and in chapter 1 in particular. The Lord in His mysterious and sovereign providence is accomplishing His glorious purposes in the lives of sinners, many sinners in, in one moment. He's working with those who have never turned and trusted in Him. And yet He's also touching the hearts and lives of His own people who have been called to serve Him. And He does so through the, the twists and turns of What seems to be ordinary life, but it's his providential care and leading that's taking place. He's doing this in the lives of his people who live faithfully before him day by day. But he's also doing it in the lives of his people and sinners who are living in disobedience and in rebellion before him. And in the process, he he demonstrates his delight in accomplishing his purposes of mercy in the hearts and lives of sinners, rebellious, runaway sinners. This is what we see in the life of Jonah, the servant of God, the prophet, as we hope to consider from Jonah chapter 1. And our focus verses are going to be verses verse 3 through verse 16 this morning. And we want to consider this passage under the theme, the compassionate God's pursuit of sinners. And we want to look at it in three thoughts, beginning by looking at the sinners that God is pursuing. And the second thought, the storms that God uses. And then the third thought, the salvation that God brings. Several weeks ago, we began our study of Jonah by considering the compassionate and caring God of Jonah. And we saw that Jonah was a man of God, a servant of the Lord, a prophet of the Most High God, one who loved his people and who faithfully brought the the word of the Lord to them, as we read in 2 Kings 14. We see a man who, who knew that apart from God, there was no help to be found, no salvation to be found for sinners like we are. We, we saw a man who, who knew and understand who God was in his character and his being, that he was a merciful and a compassionate Lord. We saw one whose, whose knowledge about God led him to worship, but yet it was the same knowledge that became a stumbling block when he was called to proclaim the word of the Lord to that great city of Nineveh. And in many respects, many of us gathered here this morning are like Jonah. Many of us have grown up learning about the Lord and his ways. We can tell one another about who the Lord is, about his ways. We We may be able to describe how he's worked in our hearts that changed us from the inside out as we as we testify to what he has done for our souls. But the question that we're left with from last week, and we're going to be 
given, or a couple weeks ago, and given today is, are we fully committed to serving the Lord, even in areas where we find it challenging to do so? Are there areas in our lives where there are maybe besetting sins still present? Or are there challenging circumstances in our life where we know the right answer theologically, but to put it into practice is hard and challenging. And, and sometimes it's, it's much easier to set those right answers aside and to do the wrong thing, serving ourselves, our own desires, or the lusts of the flesh. And yet, in, in the Lord's mercy, he continues to pursue sinners, even his own people, And this is what we see in our passage. It's a passage that's filled with irony, the mysterious paths of God's providence as he deals with lost sinners. The last time we we saw the Lord's command to Jonah from verse 2, Arise and go to Nineveh that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. The message was urgent. Jonah must go. For the city was great, and the sin of the city was great, and it had come up before the Lord. He saw it, and he knew it. And unless there is repentance and confession of sin, this judgment was coming. The children, what do we read in the next verse? But Jonah rose up, but not to go to Nineveh, to flee, to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And not only did he flee, he, he put it into action. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish and he paid the fare thereof. And he went down into the boat to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah responds to the Lord's commands with disobedience. Blatant, rebellious disobedience. Deliberate insubordination to the Lord, just doing what he wanted to do. And he does so with this complacent disregard, as if the Lord doesn't see him. Hugh Martin says it is hardly possible to conceive of a firmer, a more dogged, determined, resolved resolved purpose of transgression, step after step, without repentance, as it would almost seem, without even reflection. Instead of heeding the Lord's words, arise and go to Nineveh, Jonah rose up to flee. It's like he did a 180. It's like he had a map in front of him and he said, okay, here's Nineveh. What's the farthest place from Nineveh that I can get to? And Tarshish was that place in the opposite direction. Resolved, purposely choosing the furthest place he can think of to get out of town. And he went to Joppa. He resolved to put this plan into action. He made up his mind and he knew that if he was going to get to Tarshish, he needed to get to a port. And where was the nearest port? It was Joppa. And in Joppa, he went and searched for a ship, and he found a ship that was going to Tarshish. He searches out for the one with a direct, as it were, a direct flight to the place he wants to get to. And he pays the fare. Not only did he have a plan in place, but he made provision to carry out his plan He had the necessary funds. It's like he went to the bank ahead of time to get the funds to pay for the trip out to Tarshish. And having secured his place, he went into the ship. His plan was working out. One step after another, everything seems to be going for him. 
seemed like he was getting what he desired. Then in verse 5, we read that he not only went into the ship, but he went down into the hold and he lay himself down and he was fast asleep. Almost as it were at peace, at peace in his disobedience, unchallenged by a speaking conscience. And as a servant of the Lord, he fell fast asleep. The children in his disobedience, we read twice in verse 3 that he was going from the presence of the Lord. Now, this does not mean that he was able to hide and get out of the Lord's sight. We know from other scriptures that this would be a direct contradiction. For instance, Psalm 139, we sang from that psalm in our opening, in our opening Psalter. In verses 7 through 12, we read these words. As David, as David reflects, if I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall uphold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be a light about me. Yea, the darkness hides not from thee, but the night shines as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. And as we're going to see from chapter 2 of Jonah, Jonah knew his psalms. He would have known this psalm of David. He would have known he could not escape from the all-seeing eye of his Lord. And the Lord did see Jonah. He saw him get up and flee. He saw him run to Joppa. He saw him find that ship going to Tarshish. He saw him pay the fare. He saw him go down into the ship. And he saw him fast asleep. So no, Jonah did not escape from the Lord's all-seeing eye. But when it says that Jonah went from the presence of the Lord, he was removing himself. He had removed himself from the Lord's favorable presence. From the Lord's blessing. He removed himself from from the place of blessing, from the context of communion and fellowship with the Lord, his God. And friend, isn't this what sin always does? It always cuts off communion with our God. Cuts off fellowship with him. So whether you're an unbeliever, have never trusted in the Lord, or whether you're a child of the Lord who is, has fallen into a sin, we cut ourselves off from the presence of the Lord, from his favorable presence. And we miss out on his blessing. We miss out on fellowship and communion with him when we persist in no one's sin. There can be times where we persist in sin, and it can seem like everything's going the right way. This is what we saw in Jonah. His plans were falling into place, as it were. There were no hiccups along the way. It seemed like he even had the Lord's blessing, and maybe he thought. Hugh Martin, commenting on this, says, You may think again, you may think you gain your end. But the Lord has you in his hand, and never more, so, never more so than precisely when you think you have succeeded. You may resolve to disobey. You may rise up and flee. You may find your way to Joppa. You may find the ship ready there. You may find the mariners make no objection to your company and ready to receive the fare. You may crown all and think the day is gained when you go down into the ship. How successful your scheme has been. You think it is all right now. And your plan is safe and your project sure. Friend, 
Does the Lord see you maybe living in a life of disobedience right now? And maybe, maybe things are going okay and well, actually. No hurdles, no obstacles. It almost seems as the Lord, as if the Lord has blessed your very path. But friend, when the, when you're living in disobedience to the Lord, when something is done in blatant disregard for His express commands, no matter how well things may be going, it doesn't have the Lord's blessing. Do not let a seeming lack of difficult providences in life be a sign of the Lord's blessing on disobedience. But what can be said is that the Lord is using even these seeming lack of obstacles, the success of your plans for his sovereign purposes in your life. But not just yours, but also in the lives of others. This leads us to a characteristic of sin. Sin almost always will, in one way or another, impact other people. In Jonah's case, his blatant disobedience involved the lies and the well-being and the safety of the sailors on the ship. The sailors themselves were not innocent. But they too were living in sin. They, we don't know exactly who they were. They're, we don't know their identities, their nationalities. But what we do know is that they were idol worshippers. They were we find them calling on each their own God in the midst of the storm. They did not know the one true God. And in the, the irony of this chapter is that here Jonah is running from the Lord because he did not want to go to the Gentile city of Nineveh. And now the Lord is bringing him into the presence of the Gentile sailors. And he would declare to them, the name of the Lord. He would declare who was the God that he served. Because the Lord was going to have dealings, not only with Jonah, but with these hardened sailors in accomplishing his sovereign purposes. Jonah may have thought that he had was in the clear, securely tucked in the cargo hold of the ship, and everything was going according to plan. But the Lord saw Jonah. He saw him lay down. He saw him fall fast asleep. But the Lord also saw, children, that Jonah was in a place where he could not run anymore. He could not get out of the ship. He was stuck there. The Lord had him exactly where he wanted. He could not manipulate. He could not take things into his own hands anymore. He was oblivious to the dealings that his God was going to have with him on that ship. And we read in verse 4 that contrast of what Jonah was attempting to do. And then, but. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. And there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Literally, we read in the original, the Lord hurled or cast a great wind into the, into the sea. It's the idea of like hurling or throwing a dart or a javelin at a target. The Lord knew exactly where that storm was going and to whom it was going to affect. It was a storm that was directed at Jonah and the ship that he was on. Not to destroy him, but to search him out and to uncover the servant of the Lord and these sailors. The storm was tailor-made for Jonah and these men. And so the storms in our lives are tailor-made for, for, for us, to bring us 
to, so that the Lord can have spiritual dealings with us, heart business with us. And what a storm it was. We're told that the ship was about to be smashed. It was ready to be broken apart. And these sailors, we read, they were afraid. These seaworthy, these experienced sailors were afraid. And what do, what do lost men and women do when they find themselves in dire situations like this? We find them praying. We find them taking matters into their own hands. And this is what we see the sailors doing. They turn to prayer, to their idols, to the gods of their imaginations for help in their time of need. And yet the storm persisted. They turn to their efforts and they, they start tossing overboard. They hurl. They use the same word as verse 4. They hurl over the, the wares of the ship, either the rigging of the ship or the, the goods of the ship. There's a sense of fervency and expectation, expectancy. They need to save themselves. And they're going to do whatever they can. And how much like us, by nature, we seek to, to save ourselves. We seek to, to, to help ourselves from the inevitable sinking of our ships. Yet, like the sailors, we too will often turn to others other than God for help whether it's to idols of our own imaginations like these men did, whether it's to our money, to our strength, to our connections, to our knowledge, to our upbringing, to our good works. We attempt to try to save ourselves, to do it on our own. Maybe we work so hard to transform our lives, trying to make ourselves more acceptable in the presence of the Lord. But all the while, the storm rages on. It is about to sink us. It's still present. Maybe there's some temporary relief. Maybe as the sailors dumped over the wares into the, into the sea, as the ship was lightened, there was temporary relief. Think, okay, we're, we, we've, we're, we're making some headway. And yet the storm persisted. And at some point, the sailors make their way into the hold, or at least the captain of the ship does, and there he finds Jonah, fast asleep, oblivious to the storm, to the danger, sleeping comfortably in his disobedience. Maybe this morning this message comes and finds you oblivious to the danger that you're in. For those of you who do not know the Lord, you're hanging over the pit of hell, ready to fall in in a moment's notice. Do you see it? Or are you like Jonah, oblivious to what's going on around you? The storm that's about to sink you Swallowed up, to be swallowed up into everlasting punishment. And as this captain came into the hold of the ship and found Jonah, he says, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Literally, what is with you, O sleeping one? Don't you see the danger that we are in? How can you go on sleeping? How can you just sit idly by sleeping away when you're at the brink of disaster? And sinner, how can you go on sleeping? What is with you, O sleeping one? And with the, with the captain, I say, arise, call on your God. How these words must have hit Jonah's mind. It was only a short while ago, maybe a day or two days ago, that he heard the command, Arise, go to Nineveh. And now he hears, Arise, call on thy God. If so be that God will think upon us and we perish not. 
The hardened Gentile captain of the ship commands the servant of the Lord to get up and to call upon his God. To call upon the one that he was running away from, that he was living in obedience to. The hardened captain reminds Jonah that if salvation is to come, it is going to come only because of divine intervention. And like, jo- like Jonah needed to be reminded by a Gentile sailor, why is it that so often we need to be reminded by a world, an ungodly world around us to wake up from our stupor and our drowsiness? One wonders what Jonah's response was. We don't read whether he prayed. We don't read his response to the, to the captain The Lord, his God, was uncovering him, was exposing the sins of his rebellious, runaway servant. But not only do we read the captain calling Jonah to prayer, but the sailors themselves are at a loss. Why is this happening? They need to know, and they, they begin casting lots. And because the disposing of the casting of lots is in the hands of the Lord, in his providential hand, he, he allows Jonah to be uncovered through this random, as it were, from a human standpoint, process. Jonah stands exposed before these Gentile sailors. And exposed, he's now questioned by them. I think we need to remind ourselves of the scene. It's not like the storm stopped here for the questioning to take place. The storm was raging on all sides. The wind was roaring. It was a great wind, we read, was roaring through their ears. It was loud. It was noisy. The water was pounding across the deck of the boat. The ship was being tossed back and forth from side to side. And in the midst of this, there is a, this interrogation that's taking place. Questions are being pounded on Jonah. What is your occupation? Where are you from? What is your country? Why are you here? Jonah is exposed and the irony is he is going to be forced to proclaim the name of the Lord in the midst of the storm to these Gentile sailors. And he begins by saying, I am a Hebrew and I fear, and that word fear could be translated worship, I worship the Lord, the, the God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. But I am running from him. I'm running from the presence of the Lord because I don't want to deliver the message that he wants me to bring. He acknowledges who he is. He acknowledges the God that he serves and what he is doing. And yet we don't see it leading to repentance at this point yet. He acknowledges that this storm is here because of him. Verse 12, and in the midst of this interrogation and the, the question and answers that go on, we read in verse 11 that the storm was growing in intensity for the sea wrought and was tempestuous, literally for the sea was raging more and more. And as Jonah answers, we could just, we could almost see the shock and the disbelief on the sailors' faces as they heard his response. And we're told that they were exceedingly afraid in verse, in verse 10. Here's one who's running from the very presence of the Lord, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah, do you really believe what you said? Do you really think that you could run from the one who made the sea? And the earth. And Jonah, if your God is who he says he is, is there any hope for us sailors who are experienced? We know we've handled storms before. Is there any hope for us? 
knowing that your God has found you here in the middle of the sea. He's the one who made the sea. And if he made the sea, he's in control of the storm of the, on the sea. What are we going to do to save ourselves? And it's interesting, as, as incredible as their response is to Jonah, their fear, they turn to him, the prophet of the Lord, with seeking for hope and help. They turn to this unfaithful servant of the Lord. And they ask, what shall we do unto thee that the sea can be calm unto us? Another way of saying is, what do we do to be saved? Like the Philippian jailer's question to Paul, what shall we do to be saved? They had come to an end in their own abilities. And they knew that if salvation was going to come, it was going to come from the Lord who had made the sea and the dry land. It was going to come from the God of Jonah. And friend, have you come to that realization in your own life that if salvation comes to you, it is only going to be through the Lord, God of the heavens and of the earth? Have you ceased from your own abilities? And have you cried out like these men, what must we do to be saved? Where was salvation going to come from? As the sailors asked the question to Jonah, they knew it could and would only come from the God who had made the sea and the land. But by what means? That's the question they, they did not know. What shall we do unto thee, Jonah, that the sea may be calm unto us? And Jonah's answer is startling, surprising. Take me up. Take me up, they, he says, and cast, or it's the same word that the Lord we read and hurled the storm at. Take me up and hurl me forth into the sea. And so shall the sea be calm unto you. Jonah's answer as a message of God was a prophetic answer. He saw that his sin must be addressed even though he had not verbally repented of it at this point, he understood that this, all that was going on was because of his disobedience. And if peace were to come for these sailors, if salvation is going to come for them, then he must go overboard. He must give his life so that they could have life. And as he spoke these words, he, he's really getting to the heart of the gospel. The soul who sins must die. Or someone must take his place. He needed to give his life so that the sailors could be spared. And friend, we're no different Either we will have to die for our own sins forever in eternity, ever dying, ever experiencing the wrath of God upon us. Or there must be a substitute who takes our place, who bears the, the wrath, the storm of God's wrath against us. But by nature, this isn't a, a, a way of salvation that we appreciate or want or desire. We'd rather contribute something in, to our salvation. And we see the, this dilemma with the, the sailors. It was one thing to cast out wares into the, into the sea, but to cast a man overboard 
They couldn't. And so they row hard to bring the boat to land, we read. But they got nowhere, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous. It was raging more and more. And isn't this the case? The, the more we often try to contribute to our own salvation, doesn't it, don't you find it leads you into greater darkness, greater turmoil, greater despair, getting nowhere? And at some point, the sailors can go on no longer, and they, they go back to Jonah's words, Seeing no other way, they commit to taking Jonah and to hurling him overboard, throwing him over the edge. But they do so with a prayer of faith. These Gentile hardened sailors, the ones who had turned to their own gods in their fear, now turn to the one true God, to the covenant-keeping God, to the Lord we beseech thee, they pray, O Lord, we beseech thee, let not let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done it as it pleased thee. They plead upon the covenant name of God, pleading on the one who has made the sea, the one who had made the land, the one who had brought the storm to show mercy on them pleading that they would be innocent of the blood of Jonah. And how unlike as unlike to, to these sailors were the Jews of Jesus' day as, as they took Jesus, as it were, and hurled him onto the cross. And as they did that, they didn't cry, don't let this, don't lay this innocent blood upon us, but they let his blood be on us and our children. Let this innocent blood. Jonah wasn't innocent, but our Lord Jesus was. And he said, let his innocent blood be on us. By nature, we have no regard for the Lamb of God. We don't desire him. We don't desire to live for him. And yet he gave his life willingly to the cross so that sinners like us can have life. And as soon as they cast Jonah into the sea, as soon as those waves, those stormy waves, covered Jonah, the sea ceased from a raging. The storm was past. What a beautiful picture of the gospel we have here. Jonah, the servant of the Lord, a type of our greater, of the greater servant, our Lord Jesus Christ. But what a contrast we see between Jonah and Jesus. Jonah, the disobedient servant. A type of Christ. Because of his sin, this storm came. But Jesus the perfect servant of God removed the storm. Jonah had to be thrown overboard into that stormy sea because of his his disobedience. Jesus, as the obedient servant, the Lamb of God, had to be thrown into the storm of God's wrath for disobedient ones being perfect. Jonah only disappeared under the waves. He did not give his life. But Jesus not only bore the wrath, the storm of God's wrath against himself, but it brought him to the very point of death as he gave his death on the cross, as he was forsaken by his father, as he cried on the cross, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Jesus died so that sinners like you and I can experience everlasting peace, complete rest from the storm. 
Jesus, the greater Jonah, had to be cast into the waves, sent by his father into this world, endured three and a half years willingly, as he, or 33 years willingly, bearing the shame and the pain and the hurt and the rejection of men and women, boys and girls, so that sinners could have life. Have you rested in him? Have you thrown yourself upon him, the one who was thrown overboard, as it were, for sinners like us? Have you experienced the the great change as from a raging storm in your life, the wrath of God that was abiding on you, to now peace, a peace that passes all understanding? The men, as they, the sailors, as they threw Jonah overboard, they must have stood in awe and amazement at the transition that took place. And we read a bit of that response. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. This is the third time we we read of these sailors being afraid or fearing. Verse 5, they were afraid of the storm. And in that fear, they called on their own gods. Verse 10, they were exceedingly afraid because of the audacity of Jonah to run from his God. And now in verse 16, in response to their great deliverance, they feared the Lord exceedingly. And this is the same word that Jonah says when he says, I fear the God, the Lord, the God of heaven. They worshiped. They worshiped the one true God. They worship him out of thankfulness for what he has done for them. Their faith of the one true God is now expressed in a, in a life of worship from idol worshipers to the worshipers of the one true God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea. And we read of this worship in the form of they offered sacrifices unto the Lord. We don't even read them waiting to get to land. They offered sacrifices on that ship. They worship the Lord their God. And they made vows. They call on the Lord to be their witness that they will serve Him, the one who made the sea and the land. And friend, it's not just enough for us to sit back, read the story, and just marvel at the story itself, at the, at the narrative of Jonah. And in the Lord's pursuit of him. But have you marveled in the God, in the Lord, who pursues sinners like we are? Has he pursued you? Has he found you? In your sin and misery? In your boat? Has he exposed you? For who you are. Have you in the midst of your, the storms that God has hurled at you. Called out to him. With cries for help. Have you experienced a great calm. And peace for your sin. And from your misery. As you looked to Christ. To the greater Jonah. Who bore the storm of God's wrath. If you have, friend, have you, have you worshipped the Lord in response out of thankfulness for what he has done for you? Have you feared him exceedingly? No, not a slavish fear, but a grateful fear, a reverent fear, a standing in awe of who he is. And have you presented your lives as living sacrifices to him, which is your reasonable service? Have you vowed to do this for life? Have you wholly committed to serving the Lord 
from this time forth and forevermore. Friend, if you haven't, what will wake you up? How can you go on sleeping? What are you doing, O sleeping one? Call upon the Lord, if so be that God will think upon you, that you perish not. Amen. Lord, we're thankful that thou art a God who pursues, seeks after, and finds sinners in the midst of their disobedient rebellion. We're thankful that thou art a God who hurls the storms into our lives to draw us back to thee. We're thankful that thou art a God who has sent salvation, sent thy beloved Son, the greater Jonah, to be thrown under the wrath of Almighty God, to bear it to the point of death so that sinners like us can come to have life and to have abundant peace. Father, I pray that there would be those who have never surrendered, who are awakened this morning to their great need to see that they are but from a moment's notice from everlasting destruction. But also to see that there is a way of salvation in Christ Jesus. So bless us in the, the rest of our day. We pray this in Jesus' precious and beautiful name. Amen.